Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. into another edition of the fantasy authority podcast i am your host kevin Steele. you can find me on twitter at fantasy rat 13 and joined as always co-host cody kutzer you can find him on twitter c kutzer ff and we're joined once again by another special guest this week we are happy to have a tfa og matthew betts you can find him on twitter at the fantasy pt you can also check him out on the red shirts podcast and content for the fantasy footballers what's going on tonight matt what's going on fellas super excited to come back it feels like uh it feels like i'm coming home like you were saying got the start with tfa and you know kev I'll always be super appreciative of that giving me my first chance to write um and like you were saying you know finding me with the red shirts fantasy football podcast now with the fantasy footballers um so tfa is good people and it's always exciting to come back and, and talk with you guys Talk football with good people is always a good thing. So happy to be here, man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been you went out, and, uh, flew out of the coop, as they say, and uh, out of the nest and spread your wings. So uh, happy <laughs> with everything you guys have been doing. Uh, you know, you guys' podcast, you and Okada, uh, you know, kicks ass, and I really, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to see everything you guys are doing. So and Okada, I mean, he's big time now, right? Uh, over at NFL Network and everything. I mean, yeah, dude, like. Trying to record a podcast with that guy is freaking impossible because I'm on the East Coast, he's on the West Coast, and he's working like stupid hours. Like all season, he was like, "Hey man, as soon as the offseason gets here, it's gonna be so much easier to record." And of course, he's working like 60-hour work weeks for the network, and obviously with football being 365 days a year, it doesn't stop. So yeah, he's working for the network, uh, which is kind of cool. We kind of have a little bit of like, I mean, quote unquote insider info because he talks to all the the big time analysts there and stuff which is kind of fun to see um and kind of get his take on certain situations especially this time of year with free agency and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's fun yeah a little like a little peel back the curtains he actually had i actually had to speak to somebody at nfl network and uh give him my uh my two cents on okada so that that was pretty cool to be able to do that uh whenever he was actually interviewing for the job so that was pretty cool yeah that's awesome that's awesome anyways again we're happy to have you uh how you doing tonight cody you haven't said anything yet that's all right, man. Just uh, sitting here, getting getting ready to cry and tear up over over you guys reminiscing. So I'm I'm fine. I'm just gonna sit here with my tissues and let you guys have your moment. It's <laughs> hey. it's beautiful, man. Pe- people helping people. That's what we're here for, right? In the fantasy community. So, well, why don't we help the listeners out? I mean, that would probably be a nice uh, nice thing as well. So, 
we've we've went through the whole all the positions uh pre-combine we did our pre you know last pre-combine show last week with uh brandon and derek and then this week, you know, we're, we finally got the results now. We actually have the, you know, the results to the test that we've all been waiting for. And, you know, I, so tonight we're going to be doing some risers and follows for the, for, from the combine. And we'll also hit up the next part of the journey, which is free agency, because that is going to have an impact on the draft and where we think people could go, possible landing spots or, or stuff like that. So just kind of a natural transition there. Free agency is a couple weeks away. I think it's around the 18th or something like that of March. So uh, I think this is a good time to, uh, we'll talk about, you know, kind of wrap up the post-combine stuff, and then we'll, you know, pick back up after free agency. So, you know, one thing that I put out on Twitter this week, which uh, did not go over very well with the Dynasty community, but I wanted to ask you guys on here, if you guys saw the tweet I put out was, what is the point of pre-combine rankings, do you, or rankings pre-draft in Dynasty community? Aaron, I'm, I'm glad you're glad you're still alive and you survived that onslaught. So that's, that's something I'm glad you brought up. I mean, for me... I, as far as rankings go, like I'm not going to put out hard one to, you know, 36 kind of rankings, but I do like kind of having an idea of where I sit with guys and kind of like, I'll, I'll kind of bucket them into tiers more so than rankings, just so that like, I'm not getting, not getting too caught up in things like the combine. You know what I mean? Just so like, I'm, I'm not making too many adjustments. And then that way, when the combine hits and we're going to talk about our rises and fallers, I kind of have an idea of, you know, do I need to look at this guy again? Is he what I what I thought he was? But I mean, like I said, as far as rankings go, I don't I don't get it. But you know, on on Twitter, it, it drives clicks, and that's uh, I think that's what it's all about, right? You gotta gotta get those clicks up, son. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of a joke, but it's actually serious too, right? Like people want to see <laughs> yeah. rankings, they want to see debates and, and that kind of stuff. So. Um, I'm kind of with you in that aspect, but I agree. Like I, to rank people before landing spot with a high level of accuracy is just not possible because landing spot matters so much, especially for positions like running back where that can change in an instant, you know, um, someone like a Zach Moss, who maybe we'll talk about tonight is not necessarily in the, the top tier, but he could land with Kevin's, uh, Kansas city chiefs. And all of a sudden we're going to freak out. So you know, it, it's important, I think, to have at least a pre-draft tier-based system to understand kind of where these guys fall from a talent perspective, from a college uh, production profile perspective. But to actually say that you're going to have these guys ranked with accuracy and with confidence, um, you know, I think it's kind of overblown, in my opinion. Well, that's kind of how I feel about it. And I, I look at them, and they're all over my timeline. Like, everybody's putting them out. And, like, some of them feel very hot takey. Like, do you really believe that this is where these guys have? Like, do you really have these guys here? And it feels like it's, like, for people to argue with them about it. or I don't know. I just feel like you're right. With landing spot, without draft capital, you know, hooked to some of these guys. Like, it just seems kind of foolish. And, you know, some people were like, well, you know, it's a good way to kind of gauge how you feel about a player. But I'm like, you can watch their tape or understand their their their, their, you know, their combine numbers and all that stuff and still be able to take, come away with a take. Like, I don't have to rank C.D. Lamb to understand where I would value him in a rookie draft or, or whatever. Like, I just don't feel like it's necessary. So, I don't know. I, I just... It was just something that I thought was uh, – I put it out there, and uh, boy, did I get some reactions. So some people were well, the, uh, rather upset about it. The other it, thing, so. though, Kev, is just that there's some sickos out there that actually do their rookie draft before uh, the NFL draft. And so, obviously, those people are looking for those rankings. So, like you know, Cody was saying, um, there are some people that actually look for it because of that reason. We can argue about that all day, whether or not that's a good idea. 
but some people do that in certain leagues. I choose not to play in leagues that do that because, like you were saying, you know, NFL draft capital matters so much in terms of uh, dynasty prospect outlook. Yeah, I, th- I think it would be fun to be like in maybe in one of those leagues, but to have the majority of your rookie drafts be pre NFL draft like that, like like you said that like that's that's sicko. You're you're a degenerate if you're if you're doing that, dude. I, I would have wasted so many first and second round picks on like Auden Tate, Al Lazard, KD Cannon. Like, dude, I loved all those guys. And then the NFL draft came, and I was like, well. <laughs> Looks like I'll just be able to pick them up off waivers because I definitely don't need to use a you know even my fourth rounders on them. So like it's it's just one of those things where in you know in our little bubble that's what you know to to quote uh, Farrell it gets the people going. I mean, and somebody like McCall Harbin pre-draft last year, where do you think I, nobody you think talking about him? Yeah, no one no. would have selected him because there wasn't a single mention of McCall Harbin prior to the NFL draft. All of a sudden, he gets drafted. I remember, you know, when it happened, the Chiefs tri- took him, and everyone was like, "What? Like, who? I, I don't know." So I just find it. I just thought it was interesting. So you know, the combine came and went. There was a lot of uh, you know guys like Jonathan Taylor who crushed it, and guys like Jalen Rager who didn't do as well as I think some of, some people would have expected. You know, I think a lot of people thought that he was going to run like a four three and the four four seven. I believe he ran, but people are all of a sudden like jumping off the deep end with him like oh he's trash now he's gone i'm done with him and i'm like since when was 447 a bad like 40 time you know what i mean like all of a sudden he runs a 447 and people are like oh my god i'm out on jalen rager or people that didn't like jalen rager it was confirmation bias and i don't know i just thought that was a little ridiculous but um i think for a lot you know there was a couple of guys that were stand out and i think we'll kind of get into that but um overall my i thought the takeaways were i think that for the most part the guys that i I think we expected to do well did well some of the guys that we didn't expect didn't do well um i think now that we kind of have this it kind of gives us more information kind of more to go off of you know we kind of put this together i think we'll start with the risers here we're going to kind of go position by position me and cody have the same guy so why don't we start with you uh matthew and tell us about tua yeah absolutely i'm just going to do a little intro uh, for those of your listeners who may not know me yet, but for those of you who are not aware, I'm a, a sports physical therapist. So uh, I figured coming on the TFA pod, I have to stay on brand here uh, and talk about a medical situation. So you don't need me to tell you how great of a prospect Tua is. Obviously, he's elite as a quarterback prospect, but the knock on him is obviously the medical uh, perspective because of the hip injury, which happened in November last year. Most people are, are familiar, if not Essentially, what happened is he actually dislocated his hip and fractured the socket of the hip joint, which is a huge injury and and oftentimes is more of a traumatic type of injury like you'll see in a car accident versus a sports injury like an ACL. So kind of uncharted uh, waters here for Tua. And for me, the reason he's on our list here as a riser is not because of the talent. Again, we don't need to talk about that. It's more of a, a medical perspective because I personally feel the NFL Combine, the most important part of it is the meetings these guys have with the coaching staffs and the medical checks. The athletic testing is fun, and we'll talk about that a ton on the show. But that really, to me, is the biggest part because every single NFL team has their own medical staff that examines these players. Every player has an x-ray. Every player has an MRI. And for Tua, his MRI came back really positive, um, showed no loss of blood flow to the top of the hip joint, which is a huge concern with the dislocation and a fracture there. So for me, the reason I'm calling him a riser after the combine is because that was a big hesitation for me going into this past weekend, was what was the medical check going to reveal on Tua? 
And now we're seeing some reports coming out that he'll be cleared for football activities in the next couple of weeks. I feel like that's probably still really soon for what we would expect as a performance for him. But in terms of his long-term outlook after this type of injury, the combine medical checks you know, make him a riser for me uh, from a, a fantasy football perspective. Are you worried about any of the uh, – obviously, that's uh, that's the big one. Are you worried about any of the other injuries that, uh, that he also sustained um, during his time in Alabama? I think that was something else that people were worried about even before that hip injury happened. Yeah, that's a great point because he had uh, actually two high ankle sprains, one on each side. And ended up having, they call it a tightrope procedure. So essentially, um, it's a, a very you know, minimally invasive type of procedure that they do where they kind of, re, you know, sure up the ligament that connects the two lower leg bones, which is uh, the fibula and the tibia, the two bones that are in your lower leg. They, they tighten it up a little bit to make it more stable. And it's a really quick recovery. So it's not like a very big procedure like an ACL or like a rotator cuff repair, something like that. So to answer your question, Cody, like it definitely is something to consider in his profile. But for the type of quarterback he is, you know, he's not really a Lamar Jackson. He's not a Kyler Murray, where if he was going to be more of that mobile quarterback that he's known for rushing, I'd be very concerned about it because he's in the pocket and he's fluid in the pocket. Don't get me wrong, but he's not the type of player that's going to go out and rush for 50 yards a game uh, the way Lamar Jackson would. So you know, for that reason, he's not really a huge concern, but certainly it's worth talking about. And certainly it's worth considering when you compare him to a player like Joe Burrow. I think that was one of the, probably the biggest reasons or one of the biggest concerns with him was going to be, you know, where, where he came out, you know, medically. So now we kind of have that out of the way and it sounds like he's better off than what we thought he was going to be. Cause I think there were some people that were saying that they didn't think he was going to be ready this year. And now that that happens, I hope kind of like you mentioned, I hope they don't rush him. And if they don't have to play him this year, if it's him who drafts him, I wouldn't. You know, give him more time. Don't rush him out there. But, you know, if he were to go to a place like Miami, for example, you know, let Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, kind of do his thing out there. But, you know, pretty much right now, I kind of feel like this is a three team race. And I guess this is an easy transition into the, the guy that me and Justin or me and Cody had, excuse me, and Justin Herbert, where I feel like he's kind of the third guy. I, I could see some people actually having him ahead of 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 Tua, um, especially with his with his pretty strong combine that he had. Really showed well athletically. Something he didn't show a lot of on tape, but I mean, really had a really strong combine. And I know that you know he has elite arm talent. He's somebody that you can watch. He can make every single throw on the field. But at the same time, you can kind of pull your hair out with with some of the things that he does. I think for most people, I think they expected him to take this kind of next big leap in his career at Oregon, and he never did. He kind of stayed stagnant. I think that was people's biggest problem with him because heading into this year or even last year, like he was kind of the guy everybody was like, wait till next year until Herbert comes out and, you know, and get your hands on him. You know, now we're here, and it's kind of the same thing we see every year where there's always a guy who comes out of nowhere that no one's expecting. The same thing's going to happen next year and the year after that. There's a player that nobody's talking about in the, you know, in August. In terms of you know an NFL prospect quarterback, and then they're all of a sudden going to explode onto the scene, and this is kind of what we saw. Now Burrow is that guy, and there's certainly question. And Burrow seems to be the guy that nobody seems to be questioning at all, and like doesn't seem to like. And I have concerns with Joe Burrow, you know, mainly because of the one year of production that we saw. Not that I'm saying that he can't do it, but I think people are just expecting him just to be this elite talent, and like. I I have reservations about Joe Burrow. Depending on where he ends up, if he ends up, you know, if he does go to Cincinnati, I don't think that's a terrible spot because they have some weapons and everything else. But a guy like Herbert, I think he's somebody that you know could end up being. Maybe he's never an elite quarterback, but I think maybe like a Matt Stafford type of ceiling, Matt Ryan kind of that 
in that 12 to 15 range among quarterbacks, I think is somewhere where he can wind up, which, you know, in the right situation, we see, you know, Matt Ryan go to a Super Bowl and, you know, stuff like that. So I, I, I like Justin Herbert and I think he has the ability. Um, if he can land in the right spot, a team that can get the most out of him and kind of coach him up. Because if we remember, everybody hated Josh Allen a couple years ago when he was coming out. Everybody laughed about Josh Allen and the Bills. Not that Josh Allen's been elite, but he has definitely risen up. He has definitely, I think, compared to what everybody thought he was going to be, he certainly outplayed expectations. Yeah, for me with with Herbert, what it wasn't so much as him being a riser as kind of being cemented in as my QB3. Like I think there were some, you know, some other questions. I know a lot of people like uh, Jordan Love, um, but his the combine just how he looked. He looked really composed and like, like I don't I don't want to overrate them throwing basically against air. You know what I mean? Like I think that's where we can like get you know get a little ahead of ourselves here. But he's Kev, like you were saying, he's he's the he's a safe option here. Like he's he's going to be the three. Like Jordan Love, could he have the higher ceiling? Sure. But I think there's also question, more questions with him than there is with Herbert. So that's that's where I'm considering him a riser, just as far as being kind of cemented in as my as my quarterback three. He's the he's a safer option. I think he's going to be uh, like a steadier floor ceiling kind of guy than have have uh, you know kind of have those weekly swings. Um, so I, I thought it was just good to kind of see him compose. I think he carried himself well. And that's obviously something that, you know, a lot of teams take into consideration too when they're looking for for a franchise guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was actually going to, when I logged into the, the show doc, uh, you two had already beat me to it. I was going to say Justin Herbert because, um, you know, it, I, I don't want to say that people are down on him because of the fact that I feel like we had this preconceived notion that he was the QB1 in last year's class. And we were all very disappointed that he went back to school. But, you know, it, it's another year of development. He... Definitely showed, I think, uh, the arm talent that he has to play in the next level for sure. And, and one thing for him, you know, I've heard other people kind of talking on other podcasts, reading some articles from other people that were at the Combine in Indy, talking about the way he interacted with teams and uh, his interview process, people were very impressed with. So from that aspect, that's why I was going to list him as a riser. So I'm definitely with you guys 100% on Justin Herbert. You know, there's other guys like Jalen Hurts in this who tested really, really well. And there's already the talk of, oh, they, they should, you know, move him to running back or wide receiver. And kind of the same thing with Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, I would not be shocked if Hurts went in the first round because of what teams have seen with Lamar Jackson, with, with Josh Allen, the athletic quarterback, being able to get out of the pocket, be mobile, and him being able to do that. I think people, He's going to be one of those guys where when he gets picked, everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, what are they doing? Terrible pick, whatever. But, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now in the NFL with, with, with some of these quarterbacks. And, I mean, even Herbert, I mean, tested pretty well. I think he ran, what, a four six eight, I think, at the Combine. So I think he showed more athleticism than what people thought he had as well. So I remember, I think, when, I, went, I think when we had Zach on, um, when we talked about quarterbacks, I think I mentioned that Herbert, uh, you know, could he be something like Josh Allen? And uh, so I think he tested, you know, right around there. So anyways, um, I think this quarterback class for me like is pretty underwhelming outside of you know a couple of guys and to, for the most part um, I'm not really a fan of Eason or um, so let, let's well actually let, let's go ahead and jump over to the fallers in this category and that is the guy I was just talking about um, he Jacob Eason is somebody that I think was kind of borderline where people were kind of getting hyped on thought maybe he could be the fourth quarterback off the board but I mean he tested very miserably. And I, I just, when I've watched him, I wasn't really at sold on him. And so, I mean, with the poor combine mixed in with everything else, like 
I don't know. I think he could end up being like a third round pick, fourth round pick for some teams, but he's certainly not somebody that I think could go in the first round. Yeah, just to follow that up, um, Betts and I have the have the same faller, and we're we're going with uh, Fromm here. So for for me, with Fromm is you know we you know alluding back to the conversation we had with uh, with Zach from the Dynasty Draft Room, he was talking about what he really liked about Fromm was his ability to process the the, the mental aspect of it, and then you know just watching him and his games and throughout his time at Georgia, like I was always kind of like left wanting more. They're just like, oh, okay, like he's he's a nice quarterback. And then, and it, again, in those drills, you don't want to blow this stuff out of proportion with any of these with any of these things, the testing or the drills. In my opinion, but like he like he didn't he just didn't look good. He didn't look the the same way that um, that Herbert looked. He didn't look composed. He didn't you know what I mean he didn't he didn't look smooth through through those drills. And for for our purposes, for the the fantasy football side of it. If all you have is, you know, the between the ears kind of stuff and you can write the hell out of a, a chalkboard and a whiteboard and that kind of thing, uh, say what's up to Nate Peterman for me. We'll, we'll see how we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, Cody, absolutely savage with, <laughs> with the Nate Peterman cop or at least comparison to uh, the way he processes. Uh, but for my reason for adding from onto the list is, I mean, I don't know if you guys watch the go routes. Uh, drill with the quarterbacks and receivers but man that deep ball looked ugly yeah and you know in today's nfl it's not necessarily a huge deal from the aspect of the game is quicker uh you know the the scheming is different because it's not like okay i have six seconds to sit in the pocket and throw a bomb but still that's a a matter of arm strength accuracy like the the ball is like a, a duck out there and you know can jake Fromm be an NFL starting caliber quarterback. Yeah, probably. Is he going to be exciting for fantasy? Probably not. Like kind of like quarterback 20 to 24 type of guy in fantasy. And obviously for the the type of leagues that people are playing in, um, you know, a single quarterback, especially he's not going to be fantasy relevant in my opinion. No, I agree. I'm not seeing anything from this class. Maybe Jordan Love is going to, you know, where a guy could be end up being at a third, fourth round pick and, you know, in the NFL draft and then kind of come out of uh, and, you know, rise up the ranks a little bit. I, I just don't see it. Again, maybe Jalen Hurts if he finds the right situation uh, because of his running ability. So, um, anyways, I, let's go ahead and move on to the running backs and keep this moving. Um, I think that, you know, these next two positions are the definitely the more exciting ones. Uh, well, we, there's no way we cannot start with, uh, with, with, with Matthew's guy. That's our guy. That's, uh, the staying on brand with cam Akers, uh we can never talk too much about cam Akers. so what i i I would assume if you have him as a riser for you maybe you didn't have him as high as everybody else did i'm not sure but with with, for cam Akers, what what did you see from him that you love so much yeah definitely i just want to be honest like didn't say that i was biased pre-combine because of his poor senior season or or final season i should say i think he was a junior uh at florida state i would be lying i mean it's just we get these biases, right? You want to see production year after year after year. And obviously it wasn't there his final year at Florida State. Um, but I'm sure people have said this 97 times at this point. The offensive line was terrible. The offense sucked. They were 6-7 and seven as a team. I mean, just not good. But to see Cam Akers come out and test the way he did, I mean, you're looking at a 4-4-7, 40-yard dash, fifth best in the running back class. And looking just, you know, eye test, watching him do – the drills uh, at the combine, watching him catch the football uh, on the drills that the running backs were doing, you know, the the drill where they're going over the bag in that kind of four direction pattern in the square. I mean, his footwork was elite. 
and, and really watching the talent show at the combine on a level playing stage was really encouraging for me. So for, that's the reason I'm listing him as a riser. And if he goes to a situation where, you know, he's in a better offensive scheme, uh, a better offense in general than someone else, like, for example, I don't know, a J.K. Dobbins, I have no hesitations about potentially moving Cam Akers above J.K. Dobbins in my rank. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, but I'm already uh, team Cam Akers. Uh, love some Cam Akers. From the moment I started watching him, most certainly it's it's 100% a knock with with it with him with with well not a knock on him, but the fact that he played on such a poor offense and such a behind such a poor offensive line. I mean, it's, it was a rare day if he wasn't getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. So the fact that he was still able to put up the numbers that he was is a testament to him and his ability. So which is crazy coming out of a program like Florida State. You think you know, obviously it's a, a program like that can definitely recruit but regardless uh love some cam makers you know outside of you know for me i mean he i I could easily put him at number two jonathan taylor has one is still 100 submitted some cemented as my number one guy that hasn't changed he went out and just destroyed the combine even before the combine i'd put out like i didn't understand why he didn't he wasn't consensus 101 or the consistent number one running back in this class he destroyed the college level and then he comes in and destroys the combine I don't know why somebody like like Jake Adams, who was supposed to be super uh, athletic, coming out, you know, did not test. I don't know what was up with that, but I think that we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more with some of these other guys as well who decided not to test and how that hurt them and you know how that could affect them moving forward. But for me, my guy was AJ Dillon. I, I didn't know. I, I know that he is more of an in between the tackles grinder type of running back, and for me, that's not the type of running back that I covet in fantasy football because I generally play in PPR leagues because standard leagues are dead. It is hard to ignore that man's athleticism at his size, six foot two forty seven, and ran a four five. Like that is disgusting. He really, if you look at his numbers next to Derrick Henry, he actually out. I mean, he beat him in just about every category at the combine. And so it's hard not to really like AJ Dillon. I think a really good landing spot for him and a perfect fit for him would be going to Seattle. If he could land in Seattle, you know, I know they have Chris Carson. They still have Rashad Penny, but Rashad Penny's coming off a bad injury. Chris Carson also got hurt. And I mean, he has no draft capital. They have nothing invested in these guys. They could easily move on. I think a guy like AJ Dillon would be a fantastic fit in Seattle. And he's somebody that I think is now going to go a lot higher than I think people expect him to. I think before maybe he, people would have thought he would have went third, fourth round. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes early day, you know, early day two. First round to uh, Seattle again. Hey, I mean, <laughs> you never know. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll is crazy, right? It's just, it's just hard. To, I mean, outside of the fact that his basically one knock is, can he catch the football? He's not, he was never really utilized as a pass catcher. And can he do that? You know, we've seen big guys, um, Leonard Fournette, for example, people said he really wasn't utilized as a pass catcher. You know, he's had seasons where I think this last year, what he had 55 receptions or something like that. You know, we'll see if he can come anywhere close to that, or even if he is just Derrick Henry, where he's never really utilized as a pass catcher. But, you know, in the right system, in the right offense, and, and someone that's willing to feed him the rock, like, I think he's a, at least an interesting prospect here in this class. Yeah, yeah with him, sure. it's going to be, uh, it's going to be landing spot dependent for me, depending, like, to, with a lot of these guys too, like there aren't too many guys that you're just going to throw them into whatever system with whatever team. But I think with AJ Dillon specifically, he he lacks that lateral agility, that lateral quickness. So he's going to need to go somewhere that's going to be, you know, power and gap block scheme uh, heavy, like a you know, like a Tennessee. If you know, if they don't get uh, Derrick Henry back, apparently they did. I think it was Tennessee did a. Uh, 
a ton of interviews with running backs down at the down at the combine. So that's that's interesting. Or like a like a Seattle, a team that's just going to let him line up and just literally just run it down the middle every single play. So that's um that that athleticism is super impressive at, at that size, and that's that's scary to think that a human being that's two hundred and fifty pounds can jump as high as he can and run as fast as he can. Like that's legitimately <laughs> that's scary. Yeah, was it four five three with forty one inch vert? Yeah, yeah, he had like the he had like the same vert that um that like Henry Ruggs and Jalen Reger did. Yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, not even his athletic profile, but like you were saying, at his size, he's bigger than Derrick Henry, which is hard to even fathom from a weight perspective. Uh, but I agree with you, Kev. I mean, Seattle will be absolute dream for a guy like this, where they just want to pound the rock over and over and over again. Um, and that's the type of offense where he's going to succeed. So, you know, we were talking before we kind of started the risers and fallers. What is the point of pre-draft rankings? Well, AJ Dillon is easily like the case in point for that, because if he goes to somewhere, I don't know, that uses like more pass catching backs, I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Maybe you guys can help me out. Uh, he would be significantly docked in my ranks, but if he goes to like Seattle or Tennessee, arrow pointing way up for a guy like AJ Dillon with that athletic profile and the way he runs behind a good offense like a like a Tampa Bay I feel like that would that would just be ugly for all parties yeah. involved you think so with the way that they with the way he Bruce Arians uh, utilized uh, David Johnson yeah because I don't, I don't think I don't think he has he wants a pass catching back yeah Arians has said that and I'm yeah. also I'm also not sure they're going to have the defense to allow them to play like a, a ball control kind of s- slower pace and that doesn't really seem to fit Arians uh, mo either what if he went somewhere like New Orleans where, you know, like he kind of plays that Mark Hin- or Mark Hin- Mark Ingram role? I like that. I mean, you know, we, we talk about it, I feel like, for the last three years, right? Like New Orleans always leads the league in fantasy points for the running back position as a whole. You got Alvin Kamara doing his thing out of the backfield. Let A.J. Dillon get 15 touches in that offense. Yeah, I'm definitely in in, in that scenario. I guess another spot to maybe Detroit because we, you know, carry on Johnson not being able to stay healthy. Uh, you know, use Carryon Johnson more as a pass catching back, and use AJ Dillon as more of the running, or as the you know the first and second down grinder and uh, you know goal line back. So I don't know. There's probably a few spots like that, but you know, um, let's uh, move move on. Cody Antonio Gibson. Yeah, man, just a uh, just a really intriguing prospect. Um, if you look at his, and I think we, uh, I think Travis May brought this up whenever we went over the the running back position. But if you just look at his production profile from this year, like it's he has 38 receptions for 735 yards, 33 rushes for 369. And then he had an, he uh, he also averages 28 yards per uh, per return. He was on he was involved in kick returns as well. Um, six foot 228, and he had the the same 40 that Jonathan Taylor did. So another you know another size speed free kind of a guy um, that comes in as the 99th percentile for the speed score. And then um, per PFF, he had 33 broken tackles on those 71 touches on offense this year, which is just staggering to think about. I mean, almost 50% of his touches, he's he's breaking a, a tackle. So he's someone, again, if he can get into the right landing spot, um, a team that I've been bringing up pretty consistently, you know, like a, a San Francisco, just because I don't think that that death chart is settled whatsoever. I don't think anybody is necessarily safe you know, for, especially from a contract uh, perspective, I think they can get out of contracts pretty easily and save some money in the process. So 
Antonio Gibson out of Memphis is someone who um, I obviously knew how he was used at Memphis, but I didn't realize he had that kind of athleticism to him. Uh, so he's someone I'm going to be super interested to see if he can land with the right spot, like a San Francisco that's going to be able to utilize him, you know, kind of like a, a Ty Montgomery, which I think people forgot how quickly he started off that season with Green Bay and how good he looked doing it, just being able to to run the ball and then be involved as a as a pass catcher. So Antonio Gibson was uh, was definitely a riser for me after the combine. I think he falls into that that kind of day three type, type category, but again, yeah, very landing sure. spot dependent of, of where of where it could go. Um, I mean, there are some places that we're all going to get super excited that he can land. I mean, I think the Chiefs is pretty much the team that everybody is hoping because everybody hates Damian Williams. And so it just, I mean, we, I've seen all the way the Chiefs are taking a running back in the first round with like J.K. Dobbins and, you know, uh, on out. And they're kind of the spot where I think everybody expects them to take a running back. And like I've said, like, I would actually be shocked if they took a running back within their first two to three rounds. Like, I feel like if they're going to take a running back, it's going to be the fourth, sixth, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh range. I think they come away with one, but it's not going to be as early as what people think they're going to be doing because they have much more bigger needs. But teams like that, teams like Tampa Bay, are all teams uh, that we're going to be watching to see, you know, kind of what they do. Kev, I'd be remiss. I I feel like I don't want to break off the show sheet too much, but I got to ask your opinion. I mean, you're the KC guy. First off, uh, congrats on the Super Bowl. I imagine you were absolutely amped this year. Uh, Last season, everyone was saying Damian Williams, sell, 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 sell. And I don't know, man. I feel like you come off a Super Bowl win. Damian Williams should have been the MVP of the game. Like, is this a sneaky time to buy him in Dynasty? Because I feel like there's still this just bias out there about him. Like, is he a good running back? We can debate that all day. It doesn't matter. He plays for the Chiefs, the best offense in the league. And he's going to get fantasy points. Like, is he a buy in Dynasty leagues to you? I, will, I, I 100% think that he is. I mean, because I, I, mean, I don't, I feel like he's somebody that can be had at a very relatively low cost. Especially right now, like this is 100% the time to buy him because because everybody's expecting them to go out and draft a running back and draft one yep. early, so they think his value's dead. I don't think it is. Like I said, I would be shocked if they didn't take a running back and they just brought in some undrafted free agents because, one, it's not Andy Reid's MO to ever draft a running back early. He's never done it in his entire career as a head coach. So I, I wouldn't expect them to all of a sudden do it now. And especially a team that's coming off a Super Bowl, they just won a Super Bowl with literally no running back. I mean, they had Damian Williams, who, again, everyone left for dead. But if he wouldn't have got hurt earlier in the year, he did exactly what we thought he was going to do. As soon as he got healthy in the second half of the season, he dominated, dominated through the playoffs. You don't need to have... A, a great running back in this offense. Like we've seen it with, with, with Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and McCole Hardman. You don't need a great running back. You can go grab one off the street and be fine. And so, no, like I think he's the ultimate buy because if they don't go out and cause they, they still have Daryl Williams, who's going to be coming off an injury. They love him and they still have Darwin Thompson. So this team still has enough running back depth. It's not like it's just an absolute need for them. Could they? Sure. I've seen that they, you know, they talk with guys like Zach Moss and Cam Akers, and you know, they they met with a lot of these guys in the draft, which all teams are. They're all going to do their due diligence on these players. So people read into those things more than they should. But like I said, I will be shocked if they actually take a running back early. I think there's a much higher likelihood that they take a corner or a corner in the first round. They need a linebacker desperately. They also they definitely need another wide receiver because they're likely going to cut Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson's a free agent. Yeah, Sammy Watkins is gone. Okay, just have a little candlelight vigil. I don't know where he's going to end up. He may just retire, you know, and just go out on top, a Super Bowl champion. You know, maybe that's the way to go. <laughs> but uh, he's reached his peak. 
first yeah. of all, how dare you? He's still only what, like twenty six? Like he's still young. It's not like he's like you know almost thirty. Get that retirement nonsense up. Like I'll, I'll, I'll hang it up myself if he retires. That'll be the last. <laughs> you, that, that'll that'll be the last you see of me. I'm gonna I'm gonna retire as soon as I, me, me and him we're tied at the hip. You know, package deal here. So when soon as Sammy's done, I'm done. If if Sammy comes out and retires, you're gonna see the uh, the cleats on the on the telephone wire. You're gonna see a Marshawn Lynch tweet for me. Well, we'll see. <laughs> just to send a picture and that's it, and just and just delete your account the next day. That'll be it, man. Yeah. So who do you, who do you guys have as uh, as followers in this class? Um, I mean, I don't think there was anyone that was like super disappointing. From Zach Moss. Us. Zach Moss was super disappointing. Super disappointing. I mean, like, was he I, I get it. People though? weren't expecting him to. I know people were not expecting Iron Blaze to run a 4-4. I wasn't expecting that either. I was at least expecting, like, low 4-5, maybe, you know, 4-6 four, four, at the worst. He ran a 4-7. Like, I, I don't know. And I, the thing is, is that I will, I will give him a pass on this, is that he said, I, supposedly, which is what I would say, too, if I went out and ran a horrible 40, <laughs> I'd be like, man, I pulled, a fucking, I pulled a hammy earlier on, and that's why, that, that's what happened, right? Like, of course, that's what you're going to say. And if it did, maybe somebody gets a steal. But we'll also, I guess we'll find out at this pro day, you know. But obviously, those times are always, um, you know, um, ballooned up. more because, gracious. Yes. Where we see a little bit of things differently. So, I don't know. Like, I was obviously, and I, again, no bias. I mean, be, or there is 100% bias in this one because I haven't really cared for him <laughs> since the beginning. Last week, we kind of buried him on the show. And then it just kind of came out. And I'm not going to lie, as soon as he ran the 40, me and uh, I, I immediately went to Derek Brown um, and went right into his DMs. And we both just had a party about, about Zach Moss and how horrible and how bad it was and how people must be really upset because people were loving Zach Moss, like all about Zach Moss. And Zach Moss is the next big thing. And Zach Moss should be a top five pick, or not top five pick, top five running back in this class. I don't see it. I think he's like in the twelve to fifteen range, but I, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And w- watch, he's going to end up being like David Montgomery, where he gets drafted into a good situation. And my luck, it's going to be the Chiefs is where he ends up going in like the fifth round. The Chiefs <laughs> take him, and I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me! Now I got to. And you're buying Zach a Zach Moss jersey next year. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I listen, man. I mean, I don't want to say he didn't have a hamstring injury because he very well could have, but from a medical perspective. Jumping straight up into the air does usually not cause a hamstring strain. It's usually sprinting or an explosive movement where you're jumping forwards because that's when the hamstring gets put on the most stretch. And when the hamstring gets stretched is when it actually goes into a minor tear. So I'm not saying he did or didn't. I'm just saying statistically, it's not as common for a vertical jump to cause a hamstring strain. And real quick, Kev, just to kind of counterpoint to your 4-7, I was really bummed at that because I like him as far as like the relative consensus. I think he's in the middle. I think he's okay. I would think landing spot, he could easily jump up or down, but from, you know, that perspective, the official time came in at four, six, five. So, you know, it, it's all minutia at this point. It doesn't matter because he's going to run it again at his pro day. And if he runs it at, you know, four, five, eight, then it's a different conversation. But if he runs it again and it's four, six, seven, then, yeah, he's dead to me at that point because I actually ran a study for our website, for RedshirtsFantasyFootball.com, uh, looking at running back 40s in the last uh, four years. So back to 2015, in 2015 to 2019, the running back twos in those those years for fantasy football relevance, the cutoff point that I found that was statistically significant was 4.58. 
So it doesn't matter if you're four four or you know four five seven. Like it doesn't seem to matter a lot for production for fantasy. But if you run slower than a four six, I mean, you're talking Jordan Howard, which is an outlier. You're talking Legarrette Blunt, which is an outlier. I mean, those guys generally don't succeed in today's NFL. If it's 1990, then sure. But, you know, in today's NFL, it's not quite as common. So I'm with you that Zach Moss, if he would have ran faster, I'd be really excited. But I'm super nervous about him as a prospect now that we know what he looks like from an athletics testing standpoint. Yeah, and I mean, so I guess somebody like that, like I could see having a role in the NFL, right? Being a short line or goal line, short yardage back, somebody who kind of gets those opportunities. He's not somebody I'm excited about from long term. And I guess it was just so all the hype that I was seeing about him. And and now seeing that, it just kind of confirmed. And I guess maybe I have some confirmation bias as soon as I saw it. I'm like, ah, oh, bury him. Because we have seen, like, you know, Kareem Hunt did not run a great 40 coming out, right? And everybody buried him. And But there was there was a handful of people who loved themselves from Kareem Hunt at the time. And I, I think Scott Barrett was one of them who loved Kareem Hunt. And, you know, he's kind of, you know, bucked that trend a little bit and been able to, uh, you know, prove himself to be a little bit more useful than that. So I guess we'll see. And, if, again, I, you know, if he ends up landing in a great spot, it, it, it's not really going to matter because, you know, you're going to have to have some interest in him anyway because, you know, opportunity is king in fantasy football. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here with my with my uh, my faller for the for the running back position. I'm going to go with Savon Ahmed. I mean, this, this is just a weird 40 time to begin with because he, w- he had a verified 4-3-2 on two separate – occasions uh one coming into u-dub at like the the nike opening combine and then just last year at the uh, at the huskies combine and they're like there, there are some teams that have, that have been known to be you know a little little more gracious with their with their testing numbers but um from everything i've seen and from hearing guys like lawrence cheney talk uh who's a, who's a big u-dub guy that they have not been one of those like for instance they had they had John Ross at a four two then obviously he he ran the four two two at the at the NFL combine but that it was just such a weird time for him and I, I think he was looking at having a little later draft capital um to begin with and then when he came out and ran I think what was it, like a four six two I think is what his official time ended up being um didn't do too well in the jumps I don't think he did any of the any of the agility drills either so he was someone I was looking forward to. Um, if he could have been able to come out and give us like, I mean, even like a four three eight, like that's still that's still a really good time. Um, both being his size, production a, a little lackluster um, compared to you know someone who who preceded him and Miles Gaskin, who just carried the carried the rock and had like a thousand yards every single year. Um, he's someone I was expecting expecting more from and. Obviously, the uh, the four six two at like two hundred pounds. Uh, that is that is not going to cut it. Wasn't he the guy that you uh, when we had Travis on that you talked about as like a sleeper? I don't think there's any proof of that. So oh, there is. We can. It's it's not, we got it on the tape. We got it on tape. So tape never lies. No, so that that saying. that that was that was my sleeper that that I said to watch out for, and uh, that that did. <laughs> That did not work out in an, in a very short order. So I guess we'll see if the we'll see if we'll see if old uh, Matt's guy works out a little bit better. As we talked about kind of a little bit with J.K. Dobbins, I was surprised that he didn't go through the athletic testing portion of it heading into Ohio State. I mean, he was what a terrific spark score athlete, crushed that. I mean, and so I think everybody's expecting him to run, you know, 
kind of what Jonathan Taylor did, right? And kind of produce what Jonathan Taylor did. And then to him not even do the drills was, uh, seemed pretty shocking to me. I don't know if he's hurt or, or what, because it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. That's exactly why I have him on the list as a faller is just like, you know, this is your stage to really elevate yourself above the other prospects from an athletic standpoint. Like you were saying, he was a 99th percentile spark athlete coming out of high school in Texas as a five-star recruit to go to Ohio state. And, you know, maybe maybe there is some minor injury we don't know about. He cited an ankle injury from about two months ago that I don't really buy into. Again, medical perspective, I don't really buy into it. So there had to be something in his athletic profile, or maybe he didn't feel right with traveling. I don't know what it was. But essentially, not testing on that day and just benching, which doesn't matter, honestly, um, you know, is is kind of a silly choice, in my opinion, when you have guys like Jonathan Taylor blazing out of 439, DeAndre Swift tested well, Cam Akers we talked about, other guys that tested very well. You know, for me, I'm not saying J.K. Dobbins is a bad running back. I still like him as a prospect, but this was his chance to really take a step forward above the other prospects. And for that reason, I have him as a faller because for me, you know, I want to see the competitive nature in these guys. And to him, have him sit out and just do the bench press was really disappointing uh, from an overall talent evaluation perspective. I don't really understand it either, especially somebody that is so close. You know, f- you know, there's a big difference in pay in terms of, you know, if you're a second round pick to a first round pick, and you would think that he would want to come out and, you know, show that, you know, because he's right there with Jonathan Taylor and, you know, Cam Akers. And um, so I, I, you would think that he would want to kind of come out and kind of demonstrate what he can do. And the fact that he didn't, you know, and DeAndre Swift is a little is a little bit disheartening. I don't know if the you know the reason. Maybe we'll find out later the reason that he that he didn't do any of it. Maybe it was his agent telling him not to. But it just doesn't make any sense because if you knew that you were going to test really well, then you know what do you have to hide? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's that's really the crux of this argument. Is just like, you know, if, if you know your forty is going to blaze faster than guys like DeAndre Swift, like go out and run the thing. Like you know, make yourself some money. Like you were saying, day one pick versus day two pick is is big time in the nfl well i guess we'll see um actually another guy that we'll talk about on uh you know for me uh on the next one was we get to wide receivers so uh why don't we go ahead and jump over to wide receivers and this is kind of an interesting parallel because with the guy i'm gonna talk about as a faller but guy that you have as a riser is justin jefferson i think he blew everybody's expectations out of the water and nobody thought he was going to uh, do as well, especially athletically, and test that well. Because I think we all kind of thought that he was going to be probably somewhere in the four fives, maybe four sixes, and we were going to be okay with that. And he ended up running, what, a four four three? Like, that was way ahead of what everybody thought he was going to be at. Tested very well. I think he's somebody that really helped his draft stock. But for you, where what stood out to you as the reason? And where did you have him pre-combine? Yeah, pre-combine for me, he really was uh, well below the other prospects that are at the top. For example, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Jalen Rager, etc. He was below all those guys for me, T. Higgins included. And really seeing him come out and put out that athletic profile to match the senior or the, I should say the final season that he had at LSU was really encouraging because I think you could say everyone that was on the field for LSU produced at a very high level. So it's not really fair of us to say like, Oh, okay. This guy was a great prospect producing in a mediocre offense. Everyone produced at LSU this last season because the offense was amazing. And obviously with Joe Burrow being an elite quarterback prospect in this year's class, you could say, was it just him? Was it the scheme, et cetera? And now that we know he has the production from this past year and the athletic profile to match it with the 40, tied for eighth at the wide receiver position, 
10th best in the broad jump, 13th in the vertical. I mean, 111 receptions to match an athletic profile like that for a guy that plays in the slot in today's NFL is enough for me to say, yeah, I'm really intrigued by Justin Jefferson. Kev, you were, uh, you were big on him going into it. Did that, I mean, obviously that's not going to change much when he comes out and has, has the kind of combine he did, but did, did you move him up significantly for, for you? Uh, like I said, I, I know you already had him high to begin with, but did, did that really, did that change much? Did that boost him a lot in, in your eyes? I think it does some because I think it changes a little bit because before the perception was that he was going to maybe just be kind of that big body slot wide receiver, which is a which is a really you know valuable position especially in fantasy somebody that can rack up a lot of receptions but not somebody you really ever think about as much more of a deep threat or somebody that can kind of do those things and you know pro- providing that kind of athleticism lets us know that you know he can be more than just you know a short you know a short yardage uh, middle you know middle of the field type of uh, slot wide receiver so i actually saw that's all an old the old player profiler i think they had justin jefferson's uh best comparable as chris godwin so uh you know always stay on brand with chris godwin love some chris godwin but i think justin jefferson depending on you know where he lands you know even even could end up being maybe very similar to maybe what dj moore is now and i, I think he has that kind of athletic profile and somebody that Again, you know, lands in the right spot, uh, could really emerge very quickly and, and be, you know, one of the top producers in this class. Yeah, that that, that makes sense too. I think um, I've, a, a spot that I've seen him mocked a bunch, which I don't, I don't exactly know how I feel about it because I think it's kind of kind of doubling up. But to the to the Saints at the end of the first, I mean, if he gets that first round draft capital, no matter. No matter if it's kind of doubling up on the the same skill set as Michael Thomas, if he gets first round draft capital with Drew Brees, that that that'll, that'll be good enough for me. My thing is with this though. So with that, one, why do people hate Traquan Smith? I don't I don't know why, but everyone seems to hate my boy Traquan. But number two, when is the last time a number two wide receiver did anything in New Orleans? Like Willie Sneed? Is that how far back we have to go to that we had anybody? Now you could say maybe it's talent. Maybe they haven't had anybody. I don't know. But I, Michael, that, uh, that would be that would be my rebuttal. Yeah, and so like, I, is it a great spot? Or we just think it's a great. It's kind of like now um, with Aaron Rodgers, right? Whenever Jimmy Graham, every tight end, and now people are like, I hear people like, man, if they get Austin Hooper, imagine that. Like, whoo. Like, guys, no, I don't want him going anywhere near there, especially now after they weren't even throwing the football. Like, we'll get into that when we talk about free agents and stuff. But, like, but like, I don't think that is a great spot. Like, we, we haven't seen it enough because he spreads the ball around so much. And then Michael Thomas commands such a large target share in that offense. No, like, I would not want that. Like, I don't think that's a great landing spot at all. And besides that, I mean, you look at Drew Brees at this point in his career, like, this is the last season, maybe one more, maybe. And if Taysom Hill is the next quarterback there, I mean, that is a huge question mark. The, the dude is an absolute asset to the NFL and to his roster that he plays on. But from fantasy, we don't know how good of a quarterback he can be. And, you know, if, if he's the guy next, I have legitimate concerns about anyone pa- catching the football there because we just don't know. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen him play quarterback in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think for redraft, from a late round like dart throw perspective, that would be really intriguing. But for Dynasty, yeah, I'd be I'd be a little concerned about that. Yeah, for is. Dynasty, would would you? I'm assuming he's a he's a back end of the first kind of right now for you, bets. Would you move him out of that first round if he if he landed again with first round draft capital to the Saints? Would you would you push him more toward like the two hundred one two hundred two range then? 
probably somewhere around there. I mean, it probably depends on like where guys like T Higgins or where guys like Jalen Rager fall. If, you know, Jalen Rager, for example, lands with Green Bay, like that would put him above uh, someone like a Justin Jefferson for me. Um, you know, other examples like T Higgins going to somewhere like Buffalo would definitely put him above someone like a, um, a Justin Jefferson for me. So yeah, right around that range, I think it's fair, but I probably wouldn't put him down too far. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. The guy that I have as a, as a riser here is Donovan Peoples-Jones. Now he's, he's somebody, and this is kind of what I like using the combine for, is to just kind of bring up names that I really wasn't thinking all that much about before. And you look at somebody like Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, coming out of Michigan, he does not have the, the, the stats. He's, he's somebody that, you know, kind of the opposite of what you were saying with, uh, with Justin Jefferson bets. He, he had the, he had the combine, but this guy does not have those stats to, to match that. It, it was just an ugly situation uh, for Michigan and Shea Patterson, who is a guy we easily could have, could have put as a, as a f- even further faller in our quarterback uh, segment. But um with uh, with DPJ, you're looking at somebody 86 percentile speed score had a he ran a four four eight at six two two twelve and then his uh, dude his jumps were just absurd forty four and a half inch vertical I think that was just an inch and a half short of the uh, the combine record in general uh, but across the entire combine across everybody who competed in the in the vertical and the broad he had uh, the top jumps for both of those so. He's someone that I'm, I haven't dug into him from a, from a film perspective yet, but he's definitely a riser in terms of guys that a guy that I'm excited to, to kind of watch and see if we can just kind of explain away his, uh, his lack of production just due to the quarterback situation. Cause there, there are a lot of guys like uh, I saw people talking about chase Claypool as a riser because uh you know, the combine that he had as well, but he is somebody where to me, the, the athletic testing does not match his tape, so I'm I'm excited to jump into People Jones and see if uh you know see if there's something a little more correlated between his his testing and and what his tape looks like. Yeah, I think he's somebody that people really weren't expecting that from. Like, I think he really is somebody that kind of blew people away in his athletic testing and everything else. So, you know, th- th- he's not the only wide receiver that really lacked in terms of production. Um, you know, we can see here and talk about Jalen Rager. We've, that's the same thing, you know, with him. Right. He played on a terrible offense, and it really wasn't his fault. Only thing I want to say, I, you know, I don't want to get too far into Jalen Rager, but, like, I was surprised to see, you know, he ran a four four seven. Not that that's a terrible time at all. Like, I almost wonder with him, and this is probably me trying to, ex- like, explain it to myself to understand it because everyone was hyping it up to be, like, four three nine Confirmation bias, the, the reverse yeah, of the maybe, Zach Moss. Yes, yes <laughs> yep. But is is more more so is like did somebody give him bad information? Did he put in like too much weight and got himself too jacked? Because he definitely looked much bigger than than what he does when you sit there and watch him on tape. And you're sitting out to watch him on the field, like man, this guy really put on some. And like I feel like he maybe somebody gave him some bad information and it hurt him a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. He he was like ten pounds heavier than what he was listed at on uh, on TCU's roster this past year, and I think that definitely negatively affected him for sure. I mean. Shout out to Ray Garvin, Ray GQ on Twitter, uh, obviously was uh, very upset that night. He and Jalen are boys. Uh, he had too much Henny and hotcakes that night and was very upset about Jalen's performance. And we had Ray on the show with us talking about uh, how Jalen was going to blow the the combat out of the water and, and faster than Henry, Henry Ruggs. 
uh, like an idiot, I put some money on it and bet he would run faster than Henry Ruggs. Uh, sadly, Ray, you owe me some money. That did not happen. <laughs> so I don't know. He, I just thought it was interesting. And I, it still doesn't really, affect, really bother me that much, really change my thoughts on him in, in any way. He still, it's not like he went out and ran a 4.6 or something like that. That would have been a little more eye-opening. But even 4.47, four, I'm fine with it. But it'll be interesting to see how, again, another guy in, in his pro day, you know, if he cuts some weight and kind of gets back to his normal playing weight and, and, and see if he changes anything in that regard. Because everything else he crushed. I mean, the vertical was great, um, you know, broad and everything else. So the guy I really want to talk about, though, is Denzel Mims. And I feel like with him, people are going to, one, you're going to hear people talk about that he played at Baylor. And we've seen a lot of guys come from Baylor that haven't released Corey Coleman, most notably, right? But which is, is, is ridiculous. And it's the same thing as like people talking about Jonathan Taylor that he played at Wisconsin. And having, you know, or people that players that come from Alabama, like running backs, like there's these schools that people seem to have this like PTSD with and doesn't want to get past it. But with him and pure from a pure athletic standpoint, the dude is a monster, right? 6'3", 207. I mean, he posted a 96 percentile 40, 96 percentile speed score, 90 percentile burst score and a 96 percentile catch radius. Like the dude is a pure athlete, right? Some of the other, you know, some of the other metrics that we kind of look at, especially for wide receiver, he didn't have a great breakout age, 67th percentile breakout age. But I mean, everything else, I mean, he was had a really strong college dominator, 86 percentile, 42.3 college dominator, great spark X score athlete. So I'm really excited to see kind of where Denzel Mims winds up. And just from his overall, you know, athleticism here, like I think he could be a really interesting prospect here. And somebody I think really, really helped him, not just in terms of fantasy purposes, uh, which he obviously couldn't give a shit about, but but really helped himself out in the NFL's eyes and probably where he's going to end up being drafted. Yeah, I I, I really liked Mims uh, even going into this and, apparently something that you you say now is i have the receipts so i i have the receipts on denzel mims and i was talking about him uh back at back at the end of uh december or something i think it was but yeah i mean he's he's someone where you know the the opposite of chase claypool the the testing matches the tape um i'm working on a a rookie profile for him for the fantasy authority.com and um he was a he was only like a three star athlete. He only had uh, five offers, only two of which were from Power Five programs. And Baylor found him at like a you know kind of like a satellite camp they were holding. And he was a he was a track guy um, in high school, so wasn't really surprising to to see him do well. I don't think a lot of people thought that that level was coming. Um, but looking at I was looking at uh, Dynasty League footballs. Um, rookie ADP before this, and just last just last month, um, you were getting Denzel Mims literally at, at the two twelve. You were getting him at at twenty fourth overall, and after that combine, he has shot all the way up to uh, to thirteen. So, um, it, th- this is one of those cases that if you were holding your your rookie drafts early, that you you know you very well could have profited from that uh, and made that look a lot better. But Denzel Mims is, is no longer flying under the radar, and I've seen uh, just from NFL mocks people talking about him as you know a top forty, top fifty pick now. So, um, going to be interesting to see where he where he really lands in in rookie drafts. Come, you know, I mean, come May once once all the, the dust settles. Yeah, no, uh, I'm excited to see where he lands, and um, and I think that and again. 
I we can keep saying this about everybody, but like, wherever you land, if it's you know if it's an exciting place, I could see him going much higher uh, than even thirteen, or maybe not much higher. It depends on if it's super flex or uh, you know single quarterback. But let's go ahead and jump over to the risers or the excuse me the fallers here. We kind of went through all those. Pretty much what we were talking about. Um, excuse me with uh, J.K. Dobbins, T. Higgins, him not running the forty, which for me, I think this was probably a smarter business decision because we knew that. You know, coming out of high school, I think he ran like a four seven. I think a four seven five. So I'm assuming that he realized that he is not going to beat that time. And let's just sit this one out, boys, and not you know display that information. But you know, something that somebody like Laquan Treadwell decided not to do and actually went out and tested. I think it's it is it is pretty concerning though that I think that probably maybe confirms that he's probably going to run a four seven four maybe late or late four six, which is a problem for me for when it comes to him. And so while I still like T Higgins and I think he can be a decent you know X wide receiver, but I, I don't think that he's somebody that I am overly optimistic about that's going to have a big impact in the NFL. This is one where I'll, I'll push back a little bit, Kev. I mean, uh, T. Higgins to me is is super interesting because, you know, everyone's enamored with Justin Ross right now, right? Like if you're in Debbie League or you're looking at kind of next year's rookie class, he's the name everyone knows out of Clemson. And obviously, you know, wide receiver U, Sammy Watkins, Gunder Hopkins, et cetera, you name it. So there's intrigue with T. Higgins for that reason. But for me, like the dude, he can line up all over the place. And they used him at different places too, playing in the slot, um, not just an X receiver. And the way he wins, I think personally is through separation and not necessarily through long speed. So for me, the 40 isn't really a huge concern, but I would, I agree with you. I would have liked to see him test in those agility drills, test his explosiveness in the vert, broad jump, stuff like that, because I think he would have tested decently in it. It's kind of intriguing as to why he didn't. And maybe you will find out why in the, in the future, but you know, I heard him say that he was basically resting for some reason, which to me is like, what is that kind of thing? You know, it's not like it's the most taxing event in the world. But that to me was disappointing because I think he would have excelled in those agility drills. I mean, you think about like the most notable play he had in college most recently, people think about the national championship is that jet sweep. And I mean, the dude looked explosive as heck coming out of that play down the sideline, um, making people miss, et cetera. So for me, I'm still in on T. Higgins. I think he's going to be a very good NFL player and a very good fantasy player. I think he'll be a value because he didn't do anything in the combine. As the as the official tiebreaker here, I will give the point to Mr. Matthew. That's Let's well, go. Your 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 weight on <laughs> on your vote is not nearly as much. Well, no matter what it is, it's still going to be greater than one. So whether it's a two to one or a one point one to no, one, my, I, my point was my vote is like a one and a half, maybe a two. You know. So, anyways, so let me ask you this then. Do you think that he is better than Mike Williams? Uh, I think from an overall NFL prospect, I think he is. I am a huge Mike Williams truther, and I will die on that hill for sure. But um, from an NFL pers- like prospect standpoint, yes, he's a better prospect. I've hated Mike Williams since he came out of college. Like the moment he came out, I was like, "This dude's a bum." He really hasn't done anything to really change my mind all that much uh, since he's been in, since he's been in LA. But um, you know, he had that little crazy little run that he had there when Keenan Allen got hurt. But other than that, he has not a lot. Now people can say, "Well, it's because Philip Rivers is terrible," and that could be. Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll he'll finally break out, and we'll see a, a true breakout. You know, Devontae Parker did it finally. You know, and look, look how long it took it. But I don't know. I've never been super huge on on Mike Williams, so I don't know if I would even put T Higgins at this point above Mike Williams. But 
Um, I can see it, but uh, you know, I want to see how he does. Like, I, I don't think it's a death sentence for him. And you know, if he does come out, and I'm sure he'll he'll take part in his pro day. You know, and and if he does at least uh, decent there, maybe that is it was the entire plan the whole time. I'm sure it was with his with his with his agents and everything else for him not to go out and test. But again, landing spot dependent of of, of a spot that you know a guy that I'm gonna love. But th- there are certain players in this draft that I feel like that are you know landing spot proof, and he's certainly not one of them. You know, at the time, like I, I was pretty much kind of lockstep. Like I felt like Justin Jefferson and T Higgins were kind of pretty close prospects for me in terms of where I had them. And then just how well Justin Jefferson blew, just kind of blew the combine up. Like it was just, I, I immediately moved him up. I'm not burying T. Higgins and maybe saying that, you know, he's, you know, significantly lower for me, but I think I now, now probably have him more where I, before I would have him in like this five to seven range. Maybe now I have him in the nine to 12 range right now, but that could change, you know, because I still love Brian Edwards. Shame that we weren't able to see him and it's hard to knock him because, you know, he had the broken foot. Do you think actually, you know, since we got a, you know, a medical guy on here. We should probably, uh, you know, use that. Do you think Brian Edwards will be able to get back in time to be able to uh, take part in his pro day? No, probably not. I mean, that surgery that he had with the recovery usually takes, I mean, at least eight weeks. And um, it, it's actually kind of a high risk of re-injury with getting back too soon. So I would say it's obviously, you know, concerning that it happened at the timing that it did with not be able to see him test. But I think if he tries to come back from it and test with that you know, in his, uh, obviously now in his profile, I think he's going to test poorly. So I would say if I was advising Brian Edwards, I would say just hold off, like rely on the tape. Don't bother kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, it makes sense. So, uh, we are a pro Brian Edwards podcast here. So we are not allowed to have anybody on the podcast. It's on our contract that if you're against Brian Edwards, you're not allowed on the pod. So that's <laughs> kind of what we decided we're, uh, are, are you team Brian Edwards? You know, I'm not going to lie to you. When I first watched his tape, there was a couple of games where I was like, eh, I don't know if I see it. And then I watched more and I was like, yeah, that's the dude. Like, he's he's a good prospect. Um, I think he's going to be really productive. And because he didn't do anything and maybe not do anything at all pre-draft, I think he's going to be a sneaky value. So you were kind of like, you know, you were kind of up on liftoff and then you were kind of nosediving every second. And then you, you pulled it up. You pulled it up. Now we're back at normal you know, operating altitude. So we're good. We're good there. We're back. Uh, that, we're back. Yeah, yeah we're so. back. <laughs> No, I, I <laughs> love Brian Edwards here. Love Brian Edwards. It was sad to see him pouring out for the homie. Get back soon, King. Um, anyways, so LaVisca Chenault. He is another guy who was very kind of polarizing heading into this draft and where we kind of had a lot of conversations about him and he's sort of that jack-of-all-trades type of guy where they put him at, you know, he lined up a tight end, wide receiver. They did wildcat with him. But he's somebody that I felt like was much more athletic than kind of what he put out there, you know, at the combine. So I think that was a little bit surprising. And then kind of with his injury pass and everything else, like there's there's just things in his in his profile right now that are raising a lot of red flags with him. But um, where were you, again, with him pre-combine and kind of what you saw post-combine? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk about the combine with this guy because – he didn't really do anything. I mean, he just ran the 40 and did it at way less than 100%. I mean, he was dealing with basically, it's called osteitis pubis, which essentially is like an inflammatory process that happens where you overuse the muscles that attach onto your pelvis. So hip flexors, groin muscles, core muscles, etc. And it's super painful. I mean, I have patients that I see that like deal with it for months and months and months. And so for him to come out and run with that injury, I think was kind of a silly decision. And now obviously in, in hindsight, 2020, He's having surgery to address it. So it, it's hard to take away anything from the combine, but I think it just speaks to the overall red flags, Kev, like you were saying, where 
He had a, a shoulder surgery in college, a turf toe surgery in college, missed a lot of games. And now you have this in his profile where he isn't really your traditional wide receiver. I don't know how he translates to the NFL. From an athletic standpoint, you could say on tape, he looks like an absolute stud, an absolute freak, and he's a very good athlete. But comparing him apples to apples against other prospects, obviously we can't do. Now you have the injury history. For me, he seems like a guy that I'm just willing to pass on and be wrong on and not you know, put my rookie draft capital into him. And I'm okay being wrong on a prospect like that. I just don't see it for me personally. He was another of those prospects for me that I, you know, I definitely wouldn't have had in my top five, but somebody that I felt like was at least solid enough to be in the top ten. But I will we'll have to, you know, he's he's an he's somebody that 100% has to be in the right system. I feel like to really succeed. You know, we kind of talked about it. Maybe he could be like a Debo Samuel type of player where they kind of, you know, they they don't necessarily line him up all over the place, and you know, they kind of put him, you know, use him a little bit running back or maybe even like a Percy Harvin type. But you know, he did not. I don't know who advised him. If he's out here uh, tr- tr- truly with an injury, like I-, I don't know why you would even imagine to go out there and try to do this. And I know you want to try to show your toughness and everything else, but like this is, you know, scouts and everybody else put so much stock into this. I think it would have been so much better smart to, you know, as soon as the season was over with at Colorado, to go get the surgery, get it done, get it taken care of, and then you know maybe it, I don't know what the recovery time would that be for that surgery, but I would assume if he would have had it in like December, that maybe by you know at least his pro day he'd be able to at least come out and kind of show there what he could do or you know have private workouts with teams or whatever. So I, I don't know. I just felt like it was kind of a misstep for him. Yeah, it's about an eight week recovery for the surgery. So if he had it in December. In theory, by the end of February, he would have been good to go. And that would have been pushing it for the combine. But like you were saying for Pro Day, I feel like he would have been able to do those things. And so it is disappointing. And obviously, in rehab and surgery and medicine, it's always hindsight 2020, of course. Um, but yeah, it is disappointing because he would have been ready, I think, for his Pro Day. That's just real quick on on this injury stuff. Obviously, you have a, a deeper knowledge than 98% of us do. But let's say he gets the 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 early draft capital, he was someone who was being mocked in kind of like that 20 to 25 range. Let's say he falls a little bit and goes like early round two. Are you kind of willing to push aside your thoughts just from an injury perspective if the NFL is still going to be willing to to draft him that high? Or is he still going to be somebody that you're you're kind of just going to let somebody else deal with? Yeah, I'm probably going to let someone else deal with him. He kind of reminds me of a guy like a Will Fuller where the ceiling is there. But will he ever reach it? I doubt it. And it's not because he's not a good player. It's just because of the fact that injuries are piling up. And that matters for sure. You know, NFL teams and NFL GMs obviously know more than I do because they get to examine these players. But when you look at history, I mean, I'll say this 99 times on a podcast. Like, the biggest predictor of injury is past injury to the same body part. So now he's got a shoulder. Now he's got the the groin slash core muscle injury, um, the turf toe injury. Like, it's just not a good pre-draft list that you want to look at so for me i'm just going to let him go i'm probably going to take him off my draft board uh personally whether that's right or wrong like i was saying before you know i'm just willing to be out on a guy like this and just be wrong if it, if it hits I'll, I'll derail this real quick um just from an injury perspective what like what what injuries do you see that you are least worried about just, yeah, just, a, just in general across, you know, across all positions and all prospects. Yeah, that's a good question because there are some that definitely are huge concerns like we've seen before. 
like history of repeated hamstring or groin strains. I mean, they always recur no matter what happens. They always do. So things that I'm less worried about um, are fractures. So broken bones that aren't inside the joint. So we talked about Tua where his fracture was inside the hip joint. Someone else that has, I don't know, a broken forearm or someone else that has a, uh, a broken lower leg, something like that. Not a huge concern. Those heal really, really well. The things I am concerned about are a history of soft tissue injuries and history of major ligament repair injuries. So like a prior ACL surgery with a meniscus injury or uh, a major ankle sprain that required uh, not only fracture stabilization, but also on top of that, repairing the ligaments. So things like that, I'm more concerned about straightforward fractures that are really um, not complex. Those heal really well and those will not, you know, become a factor for me in my evaluation of the prospect. So... One more left to talk about in this, right? Yep. So the last one is Mr. Tyler Johnson, who did not do a whole heck of a lot at the Combine either. Um, I think he's somebody that had a weird response of why he, that, uh, he was – he would rather – he skipped it so he can get ready for his pro day. I know you're – and you're Mr. Tyler Johnson, so I'm surprised that you have, you have him here. But uh, where, how far are you drive, dropping him down? To me, like it's just one of those things where all the kind of red flags that we were hearing beforehand – like now I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of buying into, like I was willing to look past it with like the shrine game and everything. Cause he still had the good tape, but then he said he was skipping the shrine game to get ready for the combine and the combine came around and I get it for someone who probably wasn't going to test out like super well athletically. Like he was saying, like he, he only has one shot at this. So if he were to go out and run and bomb the combine, like that's going to hurt him no matter what he did at his pro day. So I kind of get it, but like now that we're hearing all the things about like the NFL was lower on him than you know draft and uh, fantasy Twitter was, and now like I I think I think he kind of just put himself into a you know back himself into a corner, and no matter what he does at this point in his pro day, unless he just somehow comes out and runs like a four four, which is is not going to happen. Um, he's only going to get this one shot. And I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to think that we're, instead of looking at him as, you know, going into the year, probably looking at a early day two kind of prospect. I like he's best case scenario is probably what, like fourth round probably best case scenario. And, you know, he, he might not even get that at this point. So he's, I'm still going to be higher on him in terms of just like film but in terms of like whenever the NFL draft hits, like I'm kind of I'm buying into the to the mid to late day three uh, draft capital form. So that's why he is he's a follower for me here. Yeah, it was sad because like I think he's somebody that we kind of always talked about that was kind of like in that mid, you know, for a lot of people, wide receiver ten to wide receiver thirteen, fourteen type range, you know, in this class, and you know. I, I don't think anybody expected him to go out and have like blow this, this combine out of the water, but you know, there, there's just been one after the another, another of bad decisions for him. And even, even to show up to the combine and do some of the stuff, you know, do some of the drills or whatever. I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense for some of the reasons that gave, I guess maybe one day we'll find out maybe uh, probably not, but um, yeah, it, it sucked for him. Cause I, I don't know. And he may not even, he he could end up going undrafted. I mean, who knows uh, at this point, but um, we'll see what happens. And um I think you know. Let's go ahead. We'll just go ahead and jump to the the most important position, the one everybody has been waiting for this whole time. You know, let's talk about the tight ends, baby. Yeah, so, Kevin, uh, this is uh, this this is all you, buddy. Listen, listen. It was uh, the the second the second that old uh, Albert Okuebunam. 
I've been working on that name. I just call, this is called Alberto. Let's be honest. You know, Alberto crushed it with that uh, four four nine forty at two hundred and fifty eight pounds. Uh, yeah, which is hilarious because when we had again we had uh, Zach Zach on. Yeah, I was blanking on his name. We had Zach on. We were he was not high on Alberto at all. And I was saying that well, I think he's going to test pretty well athletically because he had, you know he had ran actually. It's been reported that he ran a four four. You know, in college, I, that really wasn't something that was like widely out there. And so for a lot of people, like people were shocked because I don't think people thought he was going to run that well. So when it, once he did, like it didn't really surprise me all that much because like I had kind of already known that. And he was somebody heading into this year where people, a lot of people were talking about as a first round talent, had a really bad year at Missouri. Missouri was a dumpster fire this year. Started off well and just nosedived. But, I mean, there's a lot to like with him. He's not the best route runner. I don't think he's somebody you're going to mistake for a great, you know, he's not going to be somebody that you're going to want to use an inline blocker or anything like that. I think he's much more of a move tight end, somebody you're going to want to split out wide and kind of because he does offer that athleticism. I think he's a true red zone threat for a lot of teams. But I think he's the best tight end in this class. And there were other tight ends where a guy like, you know, um, you know Hunter Bryant that I think a lot of people were excited about. I mean, he tested horribly for a guy that his size – for one, because I think a lot of people thought he could end up being somewhat like Evan Ingram type, and he is nowhere close to that. And so, like I, for me, like this is not a great rookie uh, tight end rookie class for sure. But I do think Albert O has a place in this in this draft, and I think he could end up going in the first round. It really would not surprise me. Maybe, maybe late first round, but I think somebody could really fall in love with that athleticism. I think he was probably the the clear riser considering considering um, his forty. 40- compared to the rest of the the tight end group uh like you mentioned 449 for him the next closest bryson hopkins out of purdue and steven sullivan out of lsu with uh four sixes so nearly two tenths of a second faster than than the rest of the the tight end group um just to, to peel peel back the curtains on the on the show sheet whenever we were putting this together i wrote who cares and then uh, Matt backed me up and just said, yeah, I don't know. I think all these guys suck. So for, for me, I t- this, is just, uh, this is just a wait and see what the NFL says, where their, um, you know, where, where their draft stock ends up, and then I'll, I'll reevaluate then. But for me, I, was, I, like, I wasn't really looking forward to this group to begin with, so I, I really don't have too much else to add. You know, Titans are people too, Cody, okay? They have feelings. Prove it. Too. They score fantasy Prove points. Three, right? three of them score fantasy points. Hey, maybe what? five. Maybe. Well, we have you got Kelsey, you got Kittle, you got Ertz. You know, Hooper was a baller team. I mean, Team TFA. Uh, that was our yes, that was Team our, TFA all yes. last year. We were pounding the table for Austin Hooper. So I mean, I mean, there's some ballers out there. You know, Evan Ingram if he can ever stay healthy. OG Howard eventually is going to rise like a phoenix out of the ashes. Though we keep waiting to happen. He better, doesn't man. he? Better. Well. And it's Albert O tested better than he did, and that was the one. Th- you know, that was one thing we loved about OJ Howard was his athleticism. And o- old Albert O tested better than he did. It's interesting so. because I don't know if you guys saw this on tape, but when I was watching some Albert O tape, his last like two years ago compared to this year is way different. I don't know what it was, but just watching him on tape this past year, he kind of looked sluggish at sometimes and kind of looked disinterested. I don't know. And now to see him come out and test this way. It doesn't really match what I saw this past year, so it's kind of intriguing. I don't know what to think about this guy because, like you were saying, Kev, you know, even two years ago, people were like, just wait for Albert O. Like, this is the guy in this class from the tight end position. And then he had a pretty down year. Maybe you're like you're saying, you know, Missouri, the offense was 
uh, was not great, uh, obviously, and that affected him negatively. But it is intriguing because I don't really know where to put him. The athletic profile says yes. The recent tape says no. I'm kind of stuck in no man's land. Drop capital is going to dictate where, where, where you know where he ends up going. I know so there's other people that are kind of into Comet, uh, uh, the Notre Dame tied in. I don't know. Like he just seems like a dad runner to me. You know, people are excited about him. I I just can't get on board with it. I mean, there's some other there's some other guys. You know, Harrison Bryant. We wanted to you know kind of be a thing, but none of them really stood out to uh, to be anything you know super athletically. So. You know, to me, it seems like it's Albert O, and that's kind of you know. Then it's kind of everybody else so far. I mean, I know you know Adam Troutman. There's there's some other guys that are at least intriguing, but as we know, the tight end position, anyways, takes forever to to really produce. Um, Noah Fant was kind of an outlier this year. Some of the production that we got from him, that's not something you typically see early on from a from a tight end in the NFL. Normally, it's three to four years uh, until they you know start to really take off. So. So I think that is uh, the list. That is the list. And hopefully we can now finally try to start moving on to some actual NFL talk here in the, in the near future because I feel like this is all we've talked about for a better part of the last month. And we've went over these guys every, every which way. And we'll do it again probably in about a month from now as we go back through this whole entire list. And we just do the whole exercise again because, you know, we're junkies and we need to get that fiend, you know, get that, that crack in the system, that whatever. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Is that heroin? Maybe that's what it is. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a drug guy. I've never done I've smoked pot a few times, but uh, it was never, never for me. So uh, I don't know. Anyways, but that, that's what we are. Yeah, that's what we all need. It's a... You know, and um, I don't know. I'm off the rails now. Kevin, but, what a way to close out the show, man. That was that's true professionalism right there. <laughs> I know, right? Like, that's that's what we do here. We're not uh, – last week it was a lot of sex talk. Last week it was yeah. a lot of sex talk. I listened to the show. I, I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to let it fly. Sometimes you got to let them know. But anyways, we were going to cover NFL free agents, but we decided because we're already at an hour and 26 minutes, let's uh, save some people because this would be like a two-and-a-half-hour show. If we did that, we could say we could run through them. I know that's what everybody wants to think. But as soon as you start talking about it, we get into debate. Next thing you know, two hours goes by. We're sitting here. It's 1 a.m. We're pounding Red Bull and Monster. You know, we're like, oh, man, we got to get up and work tomorrow. But the, so we decided to, you know, save everybody that. And so, anyways, Matthew, really appreciate you having you on tonight. Uh, we'll have to do it again, maybe after the draft. Pre, you know, once we start to get to the redraft season, starts to kick up. Maybe get, even try to get you and some of the other boys on, and we'll have a, a TFA versus Red Shirts pod. Absolutely, man. It was a blast, of course, joining you guys. And we are always uh, happy to hop on and talk, you know, like you were saying, TFA versus Red Shirts. But honestly, man, we're all the same team. Uh, Okada, myself, Kent started with us. Unfortunately, he had to step away, but... We came from TFA, so you know whatever you guys are doing, we're always supporting it. So thanks so much for having me on, man. No, I really appreciate it. Why don't you uh, let everybody know again where they can find your work and where they can find the Red Shirts pod? Yeah, absolutely. You can find uh, the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast on Twitter at Red Shirts FF Pod. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc. We're also on YouTube. And then you can find my written work, usually with the Fantasy Footballers, uh, every season I do the, the injury report section of the Ultimate Draft Kit. So if you buy that, uh, check that out. I'll be found there. And then, of course, lots of, of injury content around the NFL draft. And then as redraft season gets here, uh, a lot of articles coming out on the fantasyfootballers.com. Excellent. Yes, definitely go check them out. Hit the subscribe button uh, on the old YouTube and, uh, you know, you know, support another content creator. They do an excellent job. Love the work that you guys do. Love the podcast you guys put out there. 
Um, I specifically love the one where Okada was uh, creepily eating peanut butter while you guys were talking. That's super weird. But hey, we're all into different things. You know, we you know we talk about sex over here, and you guys eat peanut butter. Totally. Well, hey, did you dig it? Did you hear the the reason why he was doing that? No, I just saw that he did it, and I was like, "So we live streamed, and of course, the fantasy footballers jumped in, and Andy, Mike, and Jason put out a challenge: whoever ate peanut butter for five straight minutes on the podcast was going to get three hundred dollars without talking about it." And I literally could not stop laughing because the comments in the chat were just absolutely ridiculous. And the, Okada gets up and leaves his chair. I was like, "Oh God, here we go!" <laughs> he comes back with a friggin' jar of peanut butter, eats it on the show. So now we're known for that, which is. I guess good. <laughs> I would have won 100%. Yeah, are you, like, you kidding me? you kidding me? me? 300, I would have done it for free, let alone $300. Shoot. We, yeah. we need to get the ballers on here. I'll, I'll do all kinds of weird stuff. They want to talk about <laughs> throwing money around. Anything for money, yes. I was about to get up, and then all of a sudden I saw Okada get up. I was like, ah, oh, damn it, I missed out. I would have ran. I, I would have beat him. I would have beat him back. You know, that yeah. I, a lot of DraftKings account uh, money right there, okay? They could have been had. That's true. Yeah. So, anyways, well, that's an excellent source. So that's the kind of stuff you can get over at the Red Shirts Fantasy Football uh, podcast. So, excellent stuff. That's excellent content right there. I uh, wish I we would have thought of that. So, anyways, so uh, thanks again for everybody for checking out the podcast. We really appreciate it. We keep uh, growing a little bit more, even though it's kind of the slow season for you know the redraft crowd and everybody else. But really trying to grind out the content. Um, again, we'll have a you know a new co- a new article going up with the Denzel Mim hype piece from Cody. And then you can catch us next week for another edition of the Fantasy Football Podcast, where we will be discussing. Uh, I think now we're going to be talking about free agency because uh, you know we pushed that off this show because we uh, got too hyped on these rookies. Until next week, I really appreciate everybody. Until next week, see you guys again. Peace. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.